Welcome to Fall North Tokers. This is episode 82, February 24th, 2018. Your host, Mid Toker. Thank you all for listening. Today's show, Bruce Schulte. Couldn't ask for a better guest for us to see what was going on at the beginning legalization of cannabis in Alaska. Chair of the CCB, the Cannabis Control Board, from the beginning. Let go a year later, he's here to tell us what all happened. Future of Alaska, how to get involved. I also spent some time at Grass Station 49 last Thursday. Vendor Day, Frozen North Farms. I was hanging out there a little bit last week. Got some interviews with some people, talked to the bud tenders, Tyler, Aaron. That's in the middle in here, just tucked in ever so nicely. Let's get down. Welcome to Far North Tokers, Bruce Schulte. So happy to have you here today. Thanks for having me on, man. Appreciate it. What a rich background you have in this. And I've been cultivating your story for a while. Just questions have just been popping up in my head, watching you for a long time. So this is going to be fun. Cool. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Someday I'm going to write a book about this experience. And the working title is, well, that was weird. Oh, no kidding. What a giant you were at the very beginning. And how did you get to that point? Let's Hold on. I, w- I want to step back from 2014 at this point. When did you get to Alaska? You a lifelong Alaskan? I am not. I actually, um, I, I quit a, a job with a very prestigious architecture firm and ran away to Alaska to be a bush pilot. That was in 1996. Wow. So, so fairly recent. That's, so it's in your soul still. It's not like it happened in the 70s. or Not that it's not in people's souls that do it then. but No, it was, it was, it was 22 years ago in about two weeks. Was it just pressure of that kind of job? What took you away from that? No, you know, I, I liked the job. I, I was working in architecture and I was flying uh, part-time, flight instructing part-time. And I just got to a point where I was I was kind of done with uh, Southern California. I'd been there for about 10 years and I thought, you know, I'm going to change it up a little bit. So I just bought a one-way ticket to Anchorage and, and came up here. I ended up getting a job down in Southeast Alaska and uh, I was kind of an itinerant pilot for the first five years or so. That's quite a change from Southern California to Alaska. It was, you know, culturally, it was it was a very welcome change. I mean, California's got some great stuff going for it, but it's, you know, living in L.A., living in close proximity with 12 million of your closest friends, and I was I was just done with that. I, I really welcomed the change. I, I went from L.A. to Juneau in a matter of about two weeks, and wow, that was a shift. It was great fun. I mean, I, I loved it. I, I, was, I was so happy to be up here. The people in Alaska were so cool, and turned out that that was like the best summer that Southeast Alaska had seen in like 20 years. So I really timed it well. Yeah, really good. I got up here in 99. So we're, we're close. Yeah. I'm similar. Just, I just wanted to see Alaska and be away and something about density of population yeah. not being stacked on each other. Right. So how far back does your cannabis use go? I mean, being a commercial pilot, that's did that ever interfere at all? Or did you just oh. use cannabis prior or how'd that work? Well, it's, yeah, it's, it's a fair question. I, you know, I, I would say I was I was familiar with the culture in, in high school and college. Went went to my fair, fair share of Grateful Dead concerts back in the day. 
when I started flying, I, I couldn't anymore. So for right. honestly, like 20 years, I didn't didn't indulge at all. And even even to this day, I, I'm very very limited because I, I still fly. So most of the year, it's completely out of the question for me. Which which makes me just a very odd advocate for this whole thing. But yeah, there you are. No, there's it's a, there's a bigger picture. A lot of it is freedom. Yeah. Personal responsibility. Mm-hmm privacy. So there's a lot of things that go into it other than just cannabis. And it's it's a business opportunity too. Yeah, absolutely. So we got 1996, you come up here, you're doing piloting. And so we've got almost 20 years that go between then and 2014. When yeah. did you start getting involved in cannabis? Uh, you know, you were the MIA, uh, the Alaska Marijuana Industry Association. Right. And Circle. Well, before that, it's interesting. My involvement really started out like, as, as you said, this whole movement, if you will, was um, it was about states' rights and personal liberties and doing away with outdated, ridiculous laws that that just couldn't be justified. And so my entry into this whole thing really was a political exercise. Initially, I, I didn't even sign the petition. I mean, I, if somebody presented it to me, I certainly would have. It's funny because in, in 2014, uh, shortly after the lieutenant governor uh, certified the petition, um, a buddy of mine said, hey, you know, marijuana is going to be on the ballot in November. We should get involved and, and start a business. And I, I distinctly remember telling him, nah, man, I'm not interested. That was that was decades ago in another life. I, I, won't, I don't want anything to do with it. And that was summer of 2014? That was the spring of 2014. That was probably probably March. It was right after the petition was uh, certified. Nice. So then uh, a couple of, couple of months later, <clears throat> another friend of mine who I knew through uh, political activity, he called me and said, Hey, you know, my firm's been hired by Marijuana Policy Project to promote this ballot initiative. I want to talk to you and see if you're all interested in being uh, a spokesman for this. So we went out for lunch. We talked about it a little bit. And by the end of lunch, I said, yeah, absolutely. I'll, I'll get behind this. And at the time, for me, it was it was really just a political exercise. I mean, I, I just thought, yeah, this is a thing that needs to happen. I think I can speak to this. So, yeah, let's do it. No, all right. And you're definitely a great speaker. And oh, you have thanks. leadership qualities and you know the policies. You've been right in there with people. You were part of the Republican Party, right? Yeah, yeah, I was. I actually, I ran for uh, the state party chairman in 2012. I'm not just a little Republican. I was all in. <laughs> we have we have a um, an interesting story that crosses paths. Uh-huh. It was during the the Republican convention there in Anchorage. Oh, were you? Yeah, I was a delegate. Oh my gosh! Yes, the riots. Uh, <laughs> It was. I, I and I was a Ron Paul supporter. Right, and that's that was the year that I ran for party chairman uh, with Randy Rudrick. Randy had said that he wasn't going to run again, and so we were all kind of like, "Well, shoot, that's those are some big shoes to fill. Who's going to step up?" Somewhere along the way, uh, against my better judgment, I said, "Well, I'll do that." <laughs> oh, right to come in, come in at that time. Yeah, there was an event that happened at that convention that I have never seen talked about. Uh huh. When one of the Ron Paul delegates walked up to Lisa Murkowski during her speech and asked, interrupted her, asked for some acknowledgement. I think the Ron Paul group was upset that she was a write-in at the Republican primary. And so it caused a lot of issues there. And what a moment that was. I've never been part of a piece of history where, how many people were in that room? Maybe 400, 300 there was slightly over 500. 500. Okay. Yeah. So we're in the convention. A Ron Paul delegate walks up during Lisa Murkowski's 
it was just her her presentation, right? She was the guest speaker. She was actually she was not Senator Barrasso from Wyoming was actually the guest speaker. She was just introducing him. Oh my! Yeah, and uh, I remember I, I was actually the chair of the convention at that point. I was one of the team organizing that entire affair. I remember that because it was it was Friday night, it was the banquet, and that was my first opportunity in three days to sit down to a real meal because I <laughs> I had organized meals for everybody else, but I hadn't had time to eat anything. So I sat down, I had my glass of wine, I had my, my rubberized chicken. And I'm like, all right, I'm diving in. And then that started. I'm like, I cannot believe you're interrupting my dinner with this. <laughs> yes. And, and what happened was she stands up and shouts to Lisa Murkowski to be heard. Yeah. Then what ended up happening, she says Ron Paul delegates rise or something like that. And all the Ron Paul people stand and turn their backs on Lisa Murkowski. That was a moment that I never heard reported anywhere. Well, and, and you know, for the folks listening in, if you're at all interested, you can YouTube this. And uh, you can see some video of pretty much the worst evening of my life over the last 10 years. Um, oh, no kidding. It's it, on, was, it's well, on... it was it, just because it was very stressful. You know, I mean, I understand. And the funny thing is that out of all that, I made some really good friends. Like a lot of a lot of those delegates that showed up thinking that, um, you know, guys like me were part of the establishment, part of the old guard. And like we needed to go, you know, once we had the opportunity to sit down and chat over a beer, we realized, oh, no, actually, we're on exactly the same page on 95 percent of the issues. And, you know, but that's politics. That's kind of how it works out. Once once you once you drain all the drama from the situation, we were all pretty much headed the same direction. Just uh, there's just some differences in how to get there. Right. And, and having two big groups. Yeah. Going up against each other. I, I can't believe that videos that's on YouTube. It, well, it used to be. I've, I've been able to find it over the last few years. I don't know if they're still up there. But, yeah, if you just if you do a search for. Alaska GOP convention 2012, I think it was. It might have been 12. I thought it was eight. I think, I think it was 12 because 2010 was my first convention. And then this was the second the second one, which was the presidential year. I will trust your brain's timeline. I don't trust that too heavily. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not right in the head. My mother will tell you that. It seems so long ago. And I, I guess it is. It's almost a decade coming up on, right? I mean, six six, seven years. It's been a while, yeah. But it was fun. So that's, you know, that was all Republican stuff. You know, as, as many people do, you know, any party, Republican Party, Democrat, Libertarian, you know, that's, it's a huge swath of personalities and ideologies and, and perspectives that night was symptomatic of you know two very distinct perspectives you know clashing all at once but there was a lot of instigators too i mean i think honestly oh, i think yes. if if we could have sat if if the two groups or, or subgroups could have sat down and just chatted about stuff we probably would have been on the same page on on most things and cannabis might well have been one of them which is sort of an interesting we I mean, just kind of kind of bring the topic back a little bit during during the 2014 campaign I talked to, I was, I was, uh, you know, obviously, you know, advocating for ballot measure two and campaigning for that and going around giving, giving, giving talks on it and, uh, doing, um, you know, roundtable discussions and presentations and debates and stuff. And, uh, at the same time, I was doing what I could to support Dan Sullivan, now Senator Sullivan, 
you know, in the midst of all that, I talked to a lot of uh, Republicans, some of them, you know, elected officials who, you know, they would tell me privately, hey, you know, ballot measure two makes a lot of sense. I'm certainly going to vote for it. Although publicly, I can't be seen to support it because my base doesn't expect me not to, which which was so interesting because so many people voted for ballot measure two. The numbers sort of sort of suggest that a lot of Republicans, a huge amount of Republicans voted for it. You know, a lot of us were very public about our support, but a lot of people, they might say, well, I don't know about that. But in the privacy of the ballot box, the, the, the voting booth, they voted for it because it made sense to them. So it's, it's kind of an interesting, interesting look at how the, uh, the party line and personal biases sometimes diverge. I had skepticism about you when you were named as one of the board members uh-huh. because I, I had known you from that 2012 convention. Oh, interesting. I hadn't had a chance to sit down with you. I wasn't one of the leaders down there. I was kind of on the outskirts, just starting to get involved. Uh-huh. So when I saw your name, I was like, whoa, well, I, I know what's going on here. I, what's, what's going uh-huh. on? How so does I look get like a here? ringer for the other side, probably. To me, you did. Oh, interesting. I'm from Fairbanks. So I was seeing from a completely different perspective. Sure. So I was very cautious yeah. of you entering. I take all of it back. I completely appreciated everything you've done Well, thanks. Uh, in hindsight, looking at what happened and even talking to you now, talking about the convention, what it was like. I've, I've been dying to talk to you <laughs> uh, for, about this for years. And I never imagined that I would actually have a chance to talk to you about that convention. That's so funny. That's awesome. And I had no idea that you were there. And, you know, like I said, I, I made a bunch of friends, not, not necessarily that night, but in the weeks that followed and, you know, good friends that I, I you know, hang out with to this day. Oh, sure. You were a, a leader at that convention. You were, you stuck out. Yeah. Well, I was trying to run for party chair, so I kind of. <laughs> right. Yeah. How, how can you not? <laughs> I was sort of committed. Those connections lead into you being appointed by the governor? Sort of. Not really. I, really, that led to me being uh, first a spokesman for the campaign. Ah, getting involved in Circle and EMEA. Yeah. So, so backing up a little bit to 2014, as, as I said, initially, a buddy of mine, said, hey, you know, this is going to be on the ballot in November. We should get behind it and uh, and then start a business. And I said, nah, I'm not really interested. Then later on, a friend of mine who I knew from Republican Party campaigns, he contacted me and said, hey, would you be interested in being a spokesman? Because we're trying to we're trying to find well-known uh, Republicans who will advocate for ballot measure two. And I said, well, you know, a lot of people know me from, from you know, from various political spheres. And, uh, and yeah, absolutely. I'll, I'll, I'll jump on board. So that's where I first became a spokesman for the campaign. Um, I wasn't one of the sponsors. There, there was, there was a three sponsors, including, uh, Tim Hinterberger and Bill Parker. And then another gal who I apologize, I forget her name. She's up in Fairbanks. So they were the sponsors. I came on board after the fact, but you know, myself and, uh, Kim Cole, we, uh, she was a spokesman, uh, spokesperson also. Then shortly thereafter, I was at an event in Anchorage and, uh, that's where I first met, first met Brandon Emmett and Frank Berardi, Sean Taki, and Gerard uh, Gall. So we all went out to lunch together uh, during one of the breaks. We hit it off, and, and I think either that day or the next day, they invited me on board as the PR manager for the Coalition for Responsible Cannabis Legislation. So I kind of wore both of those hats for the remainder of the campaign, CR- CRCL and a spokesman for the campaign. Those were beginning times. That What I really loved about that, because me coming from that Ron Paul world and I'm just getting into politics and seeing how legislation happens and mm-hmm. seeing how party platforms get developed and 
it's really if you just show up and you can introduce these things yeah and what a what an amazing time that uh, we got to participate and we're still participating in creating policy uh-huh. and trying to do it right so that the feds don't come down and shut us down other states look at us our model and take it and say that we're doing it better than other places and and you were one of those people that started that you started that that push for positive policy and coming coming out from the the republicans from that perspective did you face any backlash from old friends you know i i did a, a little bit but I, there was very very few i mean i've i've met hundreds of people uh that are you know sort of lifelong republicans you know many of them very very active very engaged i really only got legitimate negative feedback from about a dozen but so many more said you know what i I don't agree with you on this issue but you've represented it well and for that i'm going to give you a pass and we'll just agree to work together on other issues and that's that's kind of been the uniform reaction and and you know and now you know flashing forward well three and a half years a lot of them are kind of going you know what you were right i mean the sky didn't fall and uh, this can be a legitimate industry, and uh, I'm okay with it now. So that was that's it's been kind of nice to see that change of mood. So three years ago, we were still fighting with local governments and opposition groups, you know, trying to hem us in, trying to throw legislation uh, legislation in place that would that would crater the entire process. Now in 2018, it's it's all about commerce, it's about jobs, it's about revenue. It's it's a different discussion altogether, and I'm really happy it's gone that way. Yeah, it feels good. So, how did you get onto the board? You you've got your representing circle. Yeah, you're you're in the EMEA. Uh huh. When does Governor Walker contact you? I was shortlisted. You know, at, the legislature actually had a choice. They had the choice to designate a marijuana control board or to punt the entire regulatory process to the alcohol control board. And we were definitely pushing in 2015 to have a dedicated marijuana control board. That was that was our best hope, and it happened. And what the legislature came up with was a five-member board, roughly roughly modeled after the alcohol board, with each of the seats representing a different segment of the population. So there was a rural seat uh, currently occupied by uh, Mark Springer. There was the uh, public health seat currently occupied by Lauren Jones. Uh, public safety, uh, that was Peter Menard, now, now replaced with the new fellow Austin, whose last name I can't remember. And then there was two industry seats, one was like a straight-up industry seat. The other one was industry or general public. And there was an interesting discussion about what those industry seats, what were the qualifications for the industry seats? Because at that point, we didn't have an industry. You couldn't very well say, well, you know, the people that are appointed to these two positions should be from one of the representative businesses because none of those existed yet. And so, right. and, and we, we had that discussion with the legislature as the bill, as that particular bill was progressing through, through the legislature, it was agreed that finally the way it was written was that seat could be filled, those seats could be filled by anybody who was from the industry or had a record of advocating for the industry. And so that, that really opened up the door for, for a bunch of people who had been involved with the ballot measure and with subsequent legislation and so forth. So, and of course, you know, all through 2015, uh, I spent a lot of time down in Juno, talking to the legislature and trying, you know, offering some, some guidance on the products, the, the, the business, you know, what we were really trying to regulate, what it, what it could look like. And so uh, my punishment after all that was, was to get appointed to one of the seats on the board. 
punishment how did it happen they just come and ask you to get a letter or phone call it, it was a process there there was actually a, an interview process they they publicly noticed the whole thing and then applications were taken i i think for the industry seats if i'm not mistaken there was there was more people that applied for those industry seats than have ever applied for any other board position in the state there was like 130 resumes nice that's good a lot of people want to get on board yeah and, there, and there's a lot of good names you know i, I think you know, the governor probably could have picked any any of a dozen and done fairly well. And it was interesting because as the time came closer, you know, I, I was on CRCL with with Brandon and with with Kim and with um, uh, Leaf down in uh, Leaf Abel down in Kasilov, and we all had our resumes in for the sport. Like uh, every all of my all of my cohorts, everybody had a resume in. We all agreed like if any one of us gets on, that's a win for for our team for for the industry. Exactly. Throw your whole team in. And then it just it just happened that both Emmett and I got appointed. We're like, wow, this really couldn't get any better because he, he and I worked so closely together during the campaign and subsequent legislation that we, we were 100% on the same page. We made a great team. So to be, have both of us appointed was, was uh, more than we could have hoped for. What was it like that first meeting, sitting down there, calling to order, putting your name tag out in front? And I, I've always been, I'll, I'll let you answer that. And I'll, I have a question about the setting. I'm always disappointed in the setting of those meetings. Yeah. It doesn't seem like it's respected that much. It, it, it varied a lot. I mean, probably the, I, I, I'm kind of with you. I mean, the setting often varies. Well, by statute, we're required, the board is required to meet uh, in each of the judicial districts around the state, there's five of them. And so they, they just, they get a, a facility wherever they can. So, you know, sometimes, you know, we were at one day, we we're at the LIO in Anchorage, which is a brand new building, very nicely appointed. It, it sort of had the, the ambiance that one might hope for, for that activity. And, and other times, you know, we're stuck in the back room of a, of a conference center somewhere and, and that works too. I mean, we, we still got the work done, but yeah, the, the uh, environment was was pretty variable, but that that first meeting back in Fairbanks in July of 2015, it was interesting. Emmett was not there. I think he was on a mission somewhere out of uh, certainly out of town, and uh, Lauren was out of the country, so he I don't think he was even on the phone. So it was, it was just Mark and Peter and I in the room, and then uh, and a bunch of people watching, and you know that was our first meeting and. It, it was rough because I, you know, I had never, I had never chaired a meeting quite like that. I mean, I chaired other committees, but you know, the rules of the marijuana control board are different, and the scrutiny, the, the the public aspect of it was was much greater than most of what I've been involved with. So that was interesting. Just from both sides saying that you're doing it wrong or not doing enough. Oh yeah, yeah. Everybody, almost everybody involved was just like, oh, this isn't going to work. And I remember there was some some Yahoo on the phone that. That didn't even give us the courtesy of muting his phone. We said, "I have no no faith in this board. They have no idea what they're doing." I'm like, "Dude, we've only been at it for two hours. Give me a break!" Oh wow. <laughs> what are you most proud of during your time on the board? I think there's two things that I'm most proud of. One is all the amendments that I was able to get passed the day we finally adopted the regulations. A lot a lot of people don't don't know about that, but by by statute, we had to we had until November 24th of 2015 to to adopt the regulations 
So on the 22nd, two days in advance, we, we had our final meeting and like, okay, here's, here's the final draft. Does anybody have any amendments? Well, I have 55 pages of amendments, a total of 22. I think we got through 19 of them. And if I'm not mistaken, I think 17 of them were adopted and, and they were, they were sweeping. I mean, they, they made some fundamental changes to the dregs that existed up to that point. That's understanding the process. Yeah. That's knowing you come prepared, you introduce it, people vote on it, it's in. Yeah. Beautiful. I, I worked so hard on those. I, I sequestered myself at home for like three days prior to that, doing nothing else, just working on those amendments. And and I couldn't I couldn't share them with anybody. I you know, I, I just had to finish them and submit them to the board and then we, we took them up at the meeting. So but you know, the fact that we got all those passed, uh, it it made some fundamental changes to the regs that that are really allowing people to operate effectively today. So I'm really happy about that. What was one of the amendments that went through? See, one of them was a change to the maximum THC concentration for concentrate. Oh, wow. I remember that. Yeah, you remember that? One? Thank you. So yeah, yeah there was, there was uh, up to that point in the draft regulations, concentrates could be no more than, uh, I think it was 74% potency. And that was based entirely on a corresponding limitation on the alcohol side that was done so that you couldn't buy Bacardi 151 or, or similar alcohols in the States. They figured, well, if, it, if that works for alcohol, then let's do the same thing for, for marijuana concentrates. And I just, I just threw a flag. I'm like, no, this is ridiculous. People, even a casual extract artist can produce better quality than that. Why would we insist that they then turn around and adulterate it just to get it down below this artificial threshold? That makes no sense. And so anytime I go into a retail store and I see concentrates that are like 75% and up, I giggle a little bit because I did that one. <laughs> but there was others, you know, there was packaging, uh, packaging requirements that were completely convoluted. They, they just made no sense. So we, we streamlined those. And gosh, I can't remember every single one. But um, I think most people miss the significance of that meeting because we, the regs took a huge turn for the better that day. And then we adopted them before the end of the meeting. So that was that was huge. And then the other thing that I'm particularly proud of was uh, April of 2016. Uh, some people might recall that the executive director at the time just sort of announced through the media that they were going to suspend all applications pending the outcome of national criminal background checks. Oh, right. Yes. That announcement was made in, I think, March of 2016, and the board wasn't consulted. The board wasn't even part of that process. I, I just about lost my mind over that because what that meant was all these people who had you know, lined up property and invested hundreds of thousands of dollars and had their applications started, everybody was going to be brought to a screeching halt until the... Uh, AMCO office could conduct a criminal background check. The best case scenario at that point was a, a four to five month delay. In, in hindsight, we know now that it actually would have been closer to a six or seven month delay. So that would have shifted everything back by seven months. And I mean, it, it would have been catastrophic. I mean, there was, there was people that were on the hook for thousands of dollars, tens of thousands of dollars per month in lease payments on, on property that they, they were ready to grow, or at least you know heading down that path, and it would have completely cratered their plans, or uh, probably driven a lot of them out of the running just for lack of funds. And it was a completely arbitrary, completely gratuitous effort. 
so we had a we had a meeting in April. I forget the exact date, but we had a meeting in April, and I had one goal for that meeting, only one goal, and that was to get the board to overturn that ridiculous unilateral decision. It was a two-hour discussion before I finally got enough board members to recognize that this was a deal breaker, that this this would be the demise of the industry, or at least at least a fatal blow if we didn't turn that policy. In the end, we did. And and to be honest, that was probably the last straw. I, I suspect that that was one of the reasons why I was eventually booted off the board. Oh, just you went at her so hard? The governor was not down for that. That really must have went pretty quick, or I must have been in the weeds trying to prep what I was doing, too. I, I don't remember it lasting very long, so thanks for attacking it right away. Yeah. And It was, you know, honestly, nothing else mattered. didn't matter what else we got done that day if that was allowed to stand, because we were... We were cooked, but we, we did get it. Got beyond that, so I was happy. And it's funny because not very many people recognized how important that was for the industry. Even even the media. Like I, I sat down with several reporters from various various news outlets and said, "Okay, here's the deal. Here's why this is absolutely critically important." And very few reporters really picked up on that. D, DJ Summers from the Journal of Commerce, he did. He got it. Very few others did. What my recollection of it was, it just wasn't going to take that long. For it was just like fingerprint checks, like we we're just doing that over again. And it, so, but I'm I'm glad that got taken care of. Wow, that would have. Do you think that was an intentional anchor thrown on the industry, or just some nervousness of the federal crackdown? I, I think it was intentional. I, I think it was. A, yeah. I think that was a strategic move to hobble us without making it look like it was a deliberate effort to hobble us. Yeah, I would agree with that. That puts it back six, seven months, like you said, yeah. maybe even nine, ten, and then, then you might something silly might show up that you didn't even know was even there. Right. And and just, you know, for, for people listening, I, I'll just, I, I don't want to belabor this point too much, but I'll just explain why. At that point, at, at our April meeting, the legislature had not yet even voted on the bill that would ultimately allow us to do criminal background checks. Actually, let me back up another half step, if I may. The ANCO office, prior to that, did not have the authority to go to the FBI and say, we would like a criminal background check. The FBI would tell them to go go climb a tree. Um, <laughs> until, until our legislature gave them the authorization to make that request, it couldn't happen. So that's the order of things that, that had to take place. So, so the bill was still pending in the legislature. Once the bill was adopted, it still had to go to the governor for signature, which was anywhere from, you know, 30 to 60 days. Then there was another 30 day period before the bill would become effective, which which now pushes us back out to, I think, September or so. Then the ANCO office could make the request, get the results back and then release all those applications which had been held since April then begins the 60-day period during which local government can object. So you see all, all these time periods, all these yes. all these obligatory uh, blocks of time stack up. None of them overlap. They're, they're all strung out back to back to back, which is what, best case scenario, that would have pushed us out to November. But in fact, it would have, it would have pushed us out to uh, January of 2017. So nobody could have opened even a cultivation until then. Oh wow, that's like a year behind. It was huge. It was a, it was a big deal. But and I I was freaking out about it. Like I said, we, we went into that April meeting. I I had 
I had one goal, which was to override that silly policy, and we did that. So that was the other big thing I was particularly proud of. Someone's buying some black Tamina. Nice. Standing here with hippie Aaron at his vendor day. Yes. People walking in here and asking questions and talking and stuff. You've been here since 12? I've been here since 12, yes. What are you recommending, Kimbo or Black Tamina? I'm recommending the Black Tamina. I've, like Tyler has said in the past, we smoked a lot of Kimbo Kush. You know, and Kimbo is still really good. It tastes great. But you gotta have a variety. So I'm here with Felicia, lead bartender? Wow. So we're here at Vendor Day at Grass Station 49. Yes, sir. Tell us what's going on today. We have customers that come in and try to offer them, you know, the best of Frozen Oak Farms has to offer. My personal favorite is the Black Demina, so I always try to steer towards that one. Everyone's saying Black Demina. I've had oh, well, a little bit Kimbo. of that. Don't get me wrong. Well, I'm leaving with Kimbo. I'm a, I'm a heavy indica smoker, so. Is Kimbo sativa? Yeah. Yeah. No, Kimba? it's actually indica. Yeah. Good. Yeah, Good. Yeah, nice. And same with Black Demina? Both of them? No, that's actually going to be a pure. A lot of people coming through and talking, yeah. going to come to see Hippie. No. There's a lot of people that have came to see him. You know it's gotten busier no, within the last like couple of hours uh, earlier this That's morning. A Good. Good. And you guys have a great setup for that. Yeah. You walk right in, you take the left, and you talk to the talk to the cultivators in there, and they oh, got yeah. all their gear. And they, they have product in there now. Yeah. Uh, we keep pipes and stuff in there. Uh, we also keep our apparel. Uh, during vendor days, we, they have like um, they showcase what we do have. Like we have black boxes. Uh, we have four pack of camo, eight pack of camo, and a ten pack. Nice. Yeah. Frozen North Farms. Oh yeah. It's just Tyler. Yeah, it's just Tyler. Nope. <laughs> well, thanks. Yeah, thank you so much. Well, that's good. Did you come in here for Vendor Day or you just happen to get lucky in? You know, I, I, I saw the thing on uh, on Facebook. That's why I stopped. Because I normally go to the one in uh, Out in the Valley. Uh-huh. Because uh, it just makes it a lot easier than driving into town. But I have to be, think, I have to be close by, so I figured... We'll see. Yeah. It's good meeting cultivators. Did you get to talk to Hippie? I, I saw you were talking to yeah, yeah, yeah. You got a shirt. And you went back and got some more J's. I'm all set for the Black weekend. All right. Thanks, sir. All right. Take care. Yeah. I'm standing here with Frank Turney at Vendor Day at Grass Station 49. You're a regular here at Grass Station 49. Oh, yeah. I come here regularly. What do you like about it? What do you like about the Well, I like the customer service, that's for sure. And it's an easy walking distance from my live right across from the mortuary. You know, I live right next year, okay, and they have to be out of there far to go. Did you go talk to Aaron about his cultivation? Aaron and Tyler? Sure. Yeah, right, they're doing their vendor day. Oh, yeah. Oh, you know, I see these guys on Facebook. I don't really recognize yeah. them on Facebook. Oh, the younger guy? Yeah, that's okay. Tyler's the younger guy. Well, I like Frank tells me that he's a regular here. Is that true? Absolutely. One of our biggest fans at Grass Station. Anyway, did you read the uh, substitute on the orders coming up? As long as you left me a coffee. Yes, please. Absolutely. I'm here with Lexi, Lexi, Lexi. Lexi, Lexi, Lexi. Uh, Grass yes. Station 49 on Vendor Day, yep. uh, Frozen North Farms. Tell me about your Vendor Day. How many have you guys had? This is our third one. So we have Aaron and Tyler here from Frozen North Farms, which is great. Some of our favorite people. We have the Black Demina, which is honestly one of the favorite Indicas that I've seen on the legal market. Everyone keeps saying that. I just finished trimming some of that. Yeah. And... Uh, uh, but I, I'm going for Kim. Um, maybe I'm just going to get both, right? Ooh, 
Well, they're both good. It depends on what you're going for. You know, like, I find the Kimbo Kush to be better for, like, stress relief and just hanging out at the end of a long day, where Black Domina is, like, that heavy-hitting indica. Mm. So it has the taste. It has the good high with it. You're uh, selling it, Lexi. Selling oh, yeah, absolutely. Been selling it all day. <laughs> one, one of the reasons you're the best, right? Uh, absolutely. Oh, thank you, mm-hmm. if you say so. Nice. Got you. I, I, it's not just me. Oh, well, thank you. Here at the Vendor Day at Grass Station 49 with Tyler Jeanetta. How's it going? Good, good. So tell us what's going on here. Uh, just hanging out. I haven't been here too long, maybe like an hour or so, trying to meet our customers. A lot of people coming through? Uh, there's a little rush. Uh, pretty steady, though. Nice. What are you recommending? Well, of course, uh, Black Domain and Kimbo Kush. Oh, of course. But would, are you siding either side, going one way or the other? Uh, just because I've had a lot of the Kimbo Kush, I would say Black Domina. Oh, it's fresher, newer. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking opposite. I've had more of the Black Domina, so I'm going for Kimbo Kush today. Yeah, I get them both. <laughs> Genius. Perfect. Anything else? What, what's the biggest thing people are asking? Anyone talk about anything? Um, they're just telling us what they like to see, uh, some strains that they've tried, that they want to see around. Uh, really nothing too much. Just good. support. So it looks nice. good. Is this Barnabas? Yeah, it's a Barnabas. Mitt Toker here. Hey, how's it going? Good. You coming in here for some Kimbo? Uh, First North Farms, right? It's uh, decisions, decisions. Yeah. I heard you saying indica, and Lexi was just talking about some serious indica of that. Uh, the black, black Domina. If you're looking for not only good tasting weed, but also a heavy hitter, the Black Domina is awesome. Has a um, pretty good THC percentage, 17.44%. Uh, but terpenes are usually what I'm looking for, and we have about 2 to 3% terpenes in that strain. Not bad. Yeah. Uh, I guess I'll try one of your Black Domina. Me too. And uh, your Blue Okay, just one of each? Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah, a little daytime, little nighttime. Nice. Went with the Black Demina. Uh, All right, my friends, I have a pre-roll of the Moonshine and the Black Demina for $20. Wonderful. And there's your goodie bag. Yeah, you too. Hey, Barnabas, can I talk to you for a second? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you want to be on the show? I'm here talking about Vendor Day. I'm here with Barnabas. What's your last name? Uh, Viawana. Viawana? Oh, yeah. Viawana? <laughs> Barnabas Viawana Metalana, huh? Right, yeah. Oh, sweet. That, that, it's easy to say that. Uh, so you went with the Black Tamina? Oh, yeah. It's a good strand. Hey, you had it before? Oh, yeah, I had it before. Oh, yeah, I like it, too. Oh, yeah. Uh, nice to meet you. Yeah, you, too. All right. Uh, take it easy. Have a nice day. Me, too. You normally get Black Tamina? Yeah, I do. So why didn't you get Black Tamina today? Because a friend told me about fourth kind, so. And they didn't have the .5 in two-pack. What are you guys doing? Customer speak. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not the one that puts it right here. It's so more expensive the other way, you know. But All right. well, that's no, good. but that's not the only reason. I love that's one of my favorite strains. Black Tamina? Yeah. Nice. That's what everyone's saying today. Mm-hmm. I was gonna be grabbing some Kimbo, but uh Black Tamina is the way. Mm-hmm. I like Kimbo I too, but black All right, well thanks. Thanks for telling us what you're doing. Of course. I'm Ned Toker. Walter. Walter. Yes. Just up there, bought a nice little stash. Yes, I did, actually. I bought about a little over, about a little over, what, two eight, Almost like two eights, almost. Nice, good. Almost. That'll keep you for a little bit? Six months at least. Six months? I only smoke to sleep, man. I only smoke one or two hits, three hits, get a good high going. Ah, you know, nice I also sleep because I have bad insomnia. I do about two, three hits a night. I also sleep. Ah, good for you. And so, 
you picked up the Black Domino? Yes, sir, I did. Yeah, I heard that was a great I, one for that. I heard that was a really good one for it, and uh, I figured, you know, give it a shot. Grass station here, your favorite place? This is the only store I shop at. You guys, that young lady up there. Good for you. Everywhere I go. So what, are you coming in here to meet the cultivators, or just got lucky that you came in on their day? I didn't even know the cultivators were in here. Yeah, they are. Um, the guys, there's Tyler, Janetta. Oh, nice. Hippie Aaron's out here. Hi. Hi. I'm Ed Tucker. I'm Megan. Megan, good to meet you. I have, you have my mom on your front door. Oh, really? Good. So, you've got some, uh, what, black demeanor? Yes. Are you here just to get black demeanor today? That's usually what I come in here and look for, or the Kimbo Kush, actually, that he grows, too, because I get that for my grandmother for her pain. So, any indica that I get, I always look for black demeanor first. It's my all-time favorite. I just, I sink right into the couch for that. It's the best relaxing strain I can find. Whatever we saying today. It, it's amazing, and just the taste and how smooth it hits is I love it. It's no, my favorite strain. Yes, I love it. All, always. I always come to the store too because they seem to have the best actually. Good. Shout out to Grassy. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you. Thanks for coming in and let your mom know I said hi. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, thank have you a good home. one. Hey. How you doing? I'm Mid Toker. I've got a little podcast. I keep the bison closing our farms. Yeah, like in here. Oh, yeah, you ever had it before? Every day, like an everyday experience. Yeah, because you're coming back and you've had it before and you're buying it again. That's the sign. You're saying it's one of the news in here. Yeah, he's bringing the Congress forward and all the way around the changes the city as far as the hospital, the library, or hybrid. What is your name? AD. Yeah. Thanks, AD. Thank you. And thanks for smoking yeah. black demeanor. Yeah. Didn't catch your first name. Steve. Steve. The toker. Uh, Sean fears his younger, better-looking brother. Yep. <laughs> so uh, you came? Did you come in just for Frozen North Farms today? Uh, one of them. Yeah. Awesome. I'm to try it out. Where'd you get? Uh, the black demeanor. Uh, that's everyone's going black demeanor. I've had the Kimbo. Uh, Kimbo's nice, but uh, I'm more of an Indica fan and I like to relax after work and not race around and try to change my motor out of my snow machine and bounce around and do all that fun stuff. So. Right, get that done and then sit down and. Yeah, exactly. I already worked, so I don't want to work again. Right. I just want to go home too. Exactly right. Black demeanor is the one for that. Yeah, it's not bad. It's pretty nice. It's uh, I like it because it's got a lot of uh. It's body relaxing. It's not real head heavy, high from the It's more of a body relaxing, chill, and still think, function. Yeah. You know, you don't get too retarded on it, I guess you could say. <laughs> yeah. so. Well, thanks for coming in. Yeah, no Good to meet Gary Evans. Grass Station 49, Vendor Day. Where's the idea come from of Vendor Day? Vendor Days, uh, what we see here is wanting to get more of the vendor face out there. Uh, not only to help sell the weed, but to give these guys a name, spread their what they're trying to do, what their weed's like, and then they can talk about the different parts of their cultivation, the fertilizers they use, different strains they have, what they have coming, and uh, really just giving the public a chance to see what they're doing. No, I, I appreciate the chance yeah. to get, get to them. I mean, and it's good for them, too, to get some feedback from the customers. Yeah. yeah. A lot of times they come and just drop it off, and they're gone. Yeah. Sell my weed, Gary. Yep, and that's that's the whole point is to establish that personal connection Fairbanks, I think, needs so badly, or Alaska in general. Uh, cultivators don't get enough rap, and it's the biggest thing we want to focus on here is getting these guys' name out. At the end of the day, we're just a retail. It's a real nice thing that you guys do for the cultivators, spotlighting them like this and yeah, this giving the them attention. Third one, so we're just starting to get better every time. Who have you done? I've seen Tana or Herb. I haven't the first one. And we did uh, Alaska Cannabis Cultivators and Aurora Blaze. That's the first one. That's great. Uh, 
So then these guys ramped up. They got their pamphlets here too. All their new strains. So they're starting to bring a little more. It's starting to become a little more organized. Who's next? No. One of the things I feel has been a problem with the meetings and maybe would have helped the the media attack it more is there's no recordings. There's no official recordings where people can go back and listen to these things. I think they tried it once and then they were lost on a plane or something I heard. Or, so can you speak to that on why or why not recordings weren't done or why is it not being done still? There should be because I, I, I actually have recordings of most of the meetings. Wow. Are you recording them yourself or no. have just been given to you? No, no they, they record them. They record them at the meeting and, and you could you can actually request them as part of a, a, a public records uh, disclosure. And, uh, okay. and they, they've been really good about providing that. I've never oh, never good. gotten any uh, pushback. What, what is interesting is they give them to you in a special format and you have, you have to download a, a proprietary uh, piece of software that allows you to listen to them, which is, you know, not terribly cumbersome, but it's just a thing you got to do. No, well, that's good. It's there. I didn't. I did not know it was available, and that'll be good for people to know. They've missed meetings, and you have to actually ask for it. So you would have to email the Ample office, uh, probably probably the executive director, and, and say, "Hey, I would I would like the audio recordings of of the, the MCB meeting on such and such a date." Well, a couple of meetings were so popular that they just went ahead and posted a link to them on the Ampo website. But I don't think that's been done for a while. That just makes another layer of control and another roadblock, doesn't it, for access to information when you have to ask for it and then. Uh -huh. Yeah, it does. <laughs> okay, so so April, you get this big thing done. Yeah. You're you're um, buttonheads with Cynthia Franklin. Yeah. June comes and you're voted out of the chair. What what's the process of that? Did you know that was going to happen when you get there? Um, I I suspected it might uh, the day the day before I began to suspect that something like that might happen. Just, just because uh, Pete Menard had, had asked for uh, a, an executive session to be added to the uh, the agenda, there was there was there was some pretty pretty interesting discussion during that executive session. And uh, without giving you all the details, I, I will t tell you that uh, some some folks that were part of the administration uh, straight up lied, just made stuff up to make me look bad. They were effective. It was it was politics, and I got rolled. But I walked out of there with my integrity intact, and they did not. It's good when you can do that, when you can walk and everyone in the room knows what happened. It's unfortunate the public doesn't always get to find that out, but they do later. Yeah. Well, you know what's what's interesting? I mean, people who were watching the Marijuana Control Board meetings, if, if you sat into every single meeting, which is a painful process and I don't recommend it, <laughs> if you sat through every meeting, you would have noticed a couple of trends. And one of those trends was the Assistant Attorney General, Harriet Milks, grilling me at every single meeting about potential conflicts of interest and, and grilling me about, you know, well, who have you talked to and what, what did you say to them? And what did you promise them? And like constantly trying to portray me as being somehow, uh, you know, corrupt or being, you know, influenced by outside groups or, you know, or just being straight up a criminal and which is absolutely laughable because I'm not gangster mm -hmm. at all. My car is more gangster than I am. It's, <laughs> It's so it's funny, except that it was it would be funny, except that it was so irritating that she's saying, did Brandon get the same, no. the same attention? No, that's surprising because he, he's the one that got the business. He has the business, right? He, he got a little bit of it, but not nearly as much as I did. Um, they, they were gutted for me. In fact, there, there was a, an effort to make our voice, the industry voice, less effective 
on the board as early as January of 2016 when Brandon got reappointed to the board because he his his initial appointment was only for one year. There there was an effort to keep him from being reappointed, and the reason for that was to make our position, the industry position, less effective on the board. It was sketchy <laughs> at best. Corrupt would be another word. There was a there's some yeah. it's interesting background uh, backroom politics going on there. Well, just again, knowing how to get things done and knowing the procedure, things can get done when, at, very fast. And yeah. if you're not paying attention and you're not in control of the authority of that situation, it's done. Yeah. Then you're you're no longer chair. Yeah. Did you have any feeling at this point that August, two months later, that governor is going to ask you to? No, not a, not at all. In fact, they, they, they had stopped sort of gutting for me at all the meetings. So I thought, okay, well, apparently they're happy. They're happy enough with me not being chair anymore. And, you know, we're starting to approve licenses. So, you know, maybe maybe the strife is behind us. And then just, yeah, out of the blue, I get a, I get a voicemail message. But they, they didn't even give me the courtesy of, of, like, telling me in person. I just get a voicemail message. Hey, you're out. Thanks. Bye. And I, I, called, I called the governor's office back a half dozen times. They wouldn't even, they wouldn't even return my call. But I never did get an explanation. Wow, how disrespectful! Yeah, it's just in any kind of relationship. Well, it it is, it, it is. But I think I think you know, unfortunately, it speaks to the governor's uh, position on this. Now, <clears throat> to be fair, you know, those appointments, you know, it's it's an appointed position, it's a voluntary, unpaid position, and and they and all those board members, like you know, fisheries, marijuana, any anything, they all serve at the uh, governor's pleasure. So the governor absolutely has the right to remove anybody for virtually no reason. I sort of feel that such a board like that that was, that was created by a vote of the people sort of warranted a little bit more respect. And that's where I think that the governor really disappointed me in particular. You know, I, I, I think some explanation would have been, would have been appropriate um, because the only, the only logical conclusion then is that I was, I was in the way of his agenda. His agenda was not conducive to what we've been trying to do. No, no. And that, that, the new chair that's put in, yeah. soldat and a police chief, you know, gathering signatures, trying to thwart the industry and, and somehow convinces everyone that there's no conflict of interest, right. which is insane to me. It, it, real, it really is. And, you know, I will say, uh, Peter, Peter's an honorable man. I mean, he, he really is. I, I like him. I, I've talked to him a lot. I, I spent some time down in Soldat over the summers and, uh, you know, I meet him up for lunch or coffee or something. He's a good man, and he's an honorable man. I've said that I think the board makeup that we had during the development of the regulations was actually pretty good because, you know, ballot measure two only passed by a slight margin. And if you look at the makeup of the board, you know, we had two guys firmly in, in the industry camp, you know, Emmett and I, and then, uh, yeah, Peter and Lauren kind of on the other side, and Mark roughly in the middle. Occasionally, you know, going one way or the other, but more often leaning toward the industry side. And I think that the overall the board makeup roughly mirrored the public's attitude towards legalized marijuana. So from that perspective, I think we had a pretty decent balance um, until the regulations were adopted and, and until the, the uh, local ban initiatives began, like, you know, on the Kenai and stuff. And that's that's where I think it, it started to get a little bit much, I think. I think that's where maybe Peter was no longer the best choice for that position. I, you know, I wish him well. Like I said, I, I, I respect the guy, and I, I wish him well. Um, I'm glad we've got a, a more balanced voice in that seat now. And, and I think Mark's a great choice for chair. So I think overall we're doing pretty good. 
that's, that's good to hear. It doesn't doesn't sound like you have any um, negative feelings towards the process, other than just feeling slighted by the governor, just not respected. Oh, a little bit, yeah. But you know, it's it's politics. It's it's probably not the last time I'll get rolled in a political <laughs> contest. You just it just ended. So, it, besides the idea, you figure Cynthia Franklin and that April meeting. Anything else? You just. It wanted to, you were pushing one direction and they didn't like that direction. They, you know, from the beginning, and you know, you, you, we spoke earlier about that, that very first meeting up in Fairbanks where the board first mm-hmm. met. My impression from that first meeting and at virtually every meeting thereafter was that we as a board were expected to simply rubber stamp whatever the executive director and, and her folks came up with. And uh, I wasn't I wasn't okay with that. I, I was not there to be a rubber stamp. I was there to have some tough tough conversations and to you know take public input and to consider that and go through the process, however painful it had to be. Yeah, I wasn't I wasn't interested in being a rubber stamp board. And uh, that I think that that was the beginning. I mean, I, I think almost from the beginning, I was I was grading on some people because I I wasn't okay with that. And you know, it's interesting that the a board chair has an interesting role. Like the chair really doesn't have any greater authority on the board than, than the other board members. You know, he, he or she only gets one vote on, on any issue. Typically there's, there's a footnote to that. The chair's job is to keep the group on task and on schedule. And that's, I mean, that's really what they're there for. It's they're, they're there to conduct an orderly conversation and hopefully guide the, the group toward something, towards some decision, whether, you know, yay, yay or nay, or let's table this. And that's, that's the rightful position of the chair of any, any body like that. But being the chair of that board with an executive director who was, who was bent on sort of imposing their will on the board, it immediately puts them, puts them at odds because, you know, you got the chair trying to run an orderly meeting, you got the executive director trying to run their agenda and, the, the two inevitably come into conflict because uh, you know you can't you can't have two competing agendas going on during the same meeting and and or, or two competing goals I guess not not really agendas but yeah so that that was a source of tension and, and again any, anybody who sat through uh, every one of those meetings during the first six months couldn't help but walk away going wow what what just happened there I actually had legislators call me up and say who the heck is running those meetings is it you or is it is, is it the executive director and I said well you know Technically, it's me, but it's hard sometimes. <laughs> I, right, and getting pushed back by that, the uh, the bigger guys telling you how to run things, and I'm trying. Well, you know, they they, they create a board, and then the board selects their chair, and which, which is another thing I think a lot of people don't don't understand. the 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 governor doesn't appoint the chair; the the board members select a chair from amongst their their members. The chair has a certain responsibility, and uh, you know, one of those responsibilities is to make sure that everyone gets heard. In, in a in an equal and appropriate amount, the board members typically will get to speak to any issue. You know, if, if somebody makes a motion, that person by protocol gets to speak to that motion, and then everybody else on the board gets an opportunity to speak on that subject. That's just that's just the way it goes. You know, if you if you watch gavel to gavel or or any other formal uh, committee meeting like that, that's that's the way it works. So when, when you have another person, you know, one person, uh, one voice out of six who insists on being heard all the time on every issue whenever they want, it completely throws the flow of the meeting off. And and that happened every single time, virtually every 
issue. And it was it was draining, and we weren't getting anything done. No, that was you know another source of tension. But yeah. anyway, I've never liked the idea of the marijuana control board being attached to the alcohol control. Board. Yeah, I understood. You know, kind of give it a, a chance, a leg to stand on. We've been what we're almost three years now into having a control uh-huh. board. What do you think about splitting? Is it time to be a be its own entity and not wrapped up in what alcohol is and and when we change this let's go to the cannabis control board at some point probably but right now you know with the the state's economy the way it is and with government agencies under i mean every every government agency is under tremendous uh, budgetary scrutiny from a fiscal conservative perspective i'd have to say you know it it makes fiscal sense to try and combine these efforts you know to have one That's one fair. group of staff and two boards. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's it's just, it's hard to argue that. And you know, recently there was uh, there's a bill that's been moving through the legislature to um, reauthorize the marijuana control board to extend its sunset date from uh, July of 2018 out to July of 2024, I think. And I've I've I had an opportunity to testify to several committees on that bill. You know, House Finance, for example, you know, kept coming back to, okay, what's this costing us? What's the revenue? Does this make fiscal sense? And and I appreciate them having that conversation because they need to. I mean, they, they need to have that conversation about a thousand times over for all these different uh, government entities. So, you know, when it comes to our own, yeah, I got to agree with that. It makes sense. It makes fiscal sense. It does. I don't like it, but yeah. it does. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I hate that. One of the bones of contention also was this. We're trying to get on-site consumption going yeah. on. And you were a proponent for that. Uh-huh. Uh, do you think? Well, well, I, I'm. Well, I know it's. It seems like another anchor being thrown on that. We just keeps on being tabled and put off, and then we'll talk about it later, and then it goes out to public comment right. again because we changed these rules. Do you think we're going to have on-site consumption here in Alaska? Under this, under this governor, no, absolutely not. And and here's why. If again, if you if you look back at how that particular thing has has progressed you know one of the things that we did on november 22 of 2015 one of the things that we did was we adopted a change to the regs that basically created a placeholder for on-site consumption we, we allowed for that to exist sometime in the future that was that was november of 2015 in april of 2016 staff came up with a proposed regulation that would kind of kind of define the, the operating parameters for such a, a facility and it was pretty good it was actually a, a, a pretty good effort we all said yeah okay well let's let's put that out for public comment and see what everybody thinks that was that was in april of 2016 what was interesting is that we had a bunch of meetings scheduled back to back uh shortly thereafter uh the next meeting was 32 days out under under statute, um, any regulation like that has to be up for public comment for 30 days before it can be taken up again. And so had we noticed it the day after the meeting, we would have had our 32-day notice period, and we could have taken it up at the, the next meeting in, I guess, May. So they did publicly notice it. But then two days later, they re-publicly noticed it. And the explanation we got at the time was, oh, we didn't notice it properly, so we're going to notice it again. And that started the 30-day clock again, which ensured that we couldn't take it up at the main meeting. That was the first effort. It got punted by the administration three more times. 
the first time you could say, okay, that was that was an unfortunate oversight. The second time you got to say, you got to wonder, okay, what's going on here? By the time you get to the third, that's a that's a strategy, and and that is that's what it was. The the administration has absolutely no intention of letting on-site consumption happen while Walker's in office. And that was, it was punted down the road by the staff four times. And, and every time they would say with a straight face, oh, well, we just didn't notice it properly. No, you, you intentionally noticed it improperly so that the public couldn't have a say in this. Unfortunately, that's, that's what now, you know, they've, they sort of made a show of allowing the board to consider it and then table it and then postpone it. And it's a moot point. It's not going to happen. Now be a patron of Far North Tokers at patreon.com slash midtoker. Listeners supporting the artist financially for as little as $2 a month. You can steer the show through guest suggestions and reviews. Patreon helps continue new weekly shows. Let's me know Far North Tokers is important to you, and I can just keep on keeping it. Thank you. Special nod this week to new patrons, Marilyn Berglund, Carrie Mullis, and Aaron Worley. And also Peggy Peters and Randall Ranger for being first. Thank you for supporting our moment. Again, knowing the process yeah. and knowing how to thwart something. It is amazing. That, that's a, the beautiful. I just love it. <laughs> I love, even though it's hurting at yeah. times, when the right people get in there, my philosopher uh-huh. king, you know, that'll be all right. When my philosopher king is right. in charge, everything will be fine. Just taking part and being a part of the conversation, you can get so much accomplished. Yeah. yeah if, you just, if you show up and pay attention and take, a, take an opportunity, take the opportunities that are there you at least have a chance of influencing policy. But then, you know, if you got the administration that's kind of running the show, working against you, well, then you don't have a chance anymore. But um, right. not, not too much longer no, for that, I'm no. thinking. There's a lot of, lot of uh, animosity towards well, me. Well, you know, some, something that Governor Walker, I think, he, he seems to forget is that ballot measure two got more votes than he did. <laughs> oh, hey, oh, that's true. That's, that's a statistical fact. And uh, he's not doing a lot to endear himself to this community. And in my view, no. And he he was elected prior to legalization, right? He was voted into office the same day as ballot measure two, mm, and 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 ballot measure two got more votes than he did. And he was coming in as an independent. He was yeah. wasn't talking. No one was talking about cannabis at the political level at that point. Just see what happens, and then we'll. No, it was still uh, yeah. Nobody it, it, well, it hadn't happened until that night in November of 2014. It wasn't a thing. I read a quote from you. After all this was over, when you were being notified, you were probably a little tender uh-huh. at that point of leaving the board and said, um, 2,000 hours pissed away. Yeah. Um, what, after it's all over, you don't, it doesn't seem that way now. You don't sound that way. What are your reflections? Well, I'm not bitter about it, but it is true that I, over the course of two years, I invested probably 2,000 hours of my own time unpaid to, uh, you know, first advocating for it and then, you know, then interfacing with the legislature and then, you know, on the marijuana control board and so forth. So I put a lot of time into it and uh, I got paid absolutely zero for any of it. But well, thank you. Thanks, sir, for doing that. Well, and, and you know what? I would do it all over again. 
because it was, it was it was the right thing to do, and I have I have no regrets. I was a little bitter at the time, yeah. It was it was the right thing to do. I I think I was I was a decent person to be doing it, and yeah, I, I would do it all over again. I think it was a it was a it was a good law to change, at least at the state level. Did you have any notions of getting back into circle or me at that time, or yeah, just want to uh, get away from? Well, at, at that time, I, I actually I punched out from all the uh, advocacy groups at that point, mainly because I figured I was going to start setting some stuff on fire. Some of the, some of the guys still involved were still you know associated with the, with AMIA and with CRCL, and I just said, hey, look, I'm gonna I'm gonna continue to piss people off, and you guys probably don't want to be associated with me while I'm doing that. So uh, you took the sacrifice. You jumped off the ship. Yeah, because it, it also freed me up to say whatever I wanted. I mean, I, I could be brutally honest in whatever form I chose, and I didn't have to worry about that blowing back on Emmett, for example, because he is still on the board. You know, he's he's probably as surprised as anybody when I you know if I say something you know inflammatory, but it doesn't blow back on him because he and I aren't affiliated anymore. I mean, we're still friends, but right. different. But uh, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm still engaged too. I mean, I, I, like I said, I was uh, a bit very active with the legislature, uh, you know, on on recent bills, or, and we've been talking to them about uh, taxes. There's you know, a lot of people would like to see the tax structure changed in a couple of different ways, and so I've been I've been trying to promote that idea with all the legislators that uh, with whom I have a relationship, and you know, try to explain to them why why this makes sense. And yeah, so you know, the work the work definitely continues, and I'm still not getting paid for it, but that's okay. <laughs> And that, that's just peer to peer, right? That's just talking to friends. That's yeah. in no official capacity. You're just trying to sway it as an individual. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not a, uh, I'm not a lobbyist, which, which is good because be, actually being a lobbyist really puts some constraints on, on the conversations you can have with elected officials. It seems like it's time for that though. I, I appreciate what you're saying as far as it would put constraints on your voice, but you'd be a great well, thanks. Lobbyist. I introduced myself as a spokesman for the campaign to regulate marijuana because because I was. And I think that now in 2018, this is a really good time for myself and, and for you know Tim Hinterberger and others to come back to the legislature. Having advocated for this voter initiative, let's talk about where we've where we've come. You know, how 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 is this going? How well has the state done in executing this voter initiative? And it's, I think it's an important conversation to have, and, and people are, are still receptive to that. You know, I have uh, certain credibility with with elected officials. You know, it's always cordial and, and professional, and, and they're you know willing to hear it because I, because I I bring sound you know rational voice to some of these issues, or I, I attempt to anyway. You had said earlier, I believe, I don't think I read this. I may have read it also that you were. Went, First, getting involved with an idea of maybe opening a retail yeah. in Anchorage. There, I, I was actually going to do full integration. My my plan initially was to do cultivation, processing, probably, probably edibles, and uh, and retail. Now, and, and that was my plan for for a while. I had a business plan and, and uh, pitched a couple of investors. And, and you know, I may still get involved. It's interesting to me to see how the industry has has matured, or you know how it's evolved and it's beginning to mature. I think. You know, now I'm looking at it. I'm thinking, well, you know, is there room for another startup? I'm not sure if there is for for me, particularly in Anchorage. Anchorage is a is a one of the toughest cities to get started in, just because it has a secondary licensing process. So, mm-hmm. like, if if I went out and found a warehouse tomorrow and began the application process, I'd be lucky to open up for business in 12 months. It probably would be more like 12 to 16 months. Uh, I would, I agree with you. I think the fastest one I've ever seen start to finish with six yeah those guys had it on they were they just did everything just 
bang, 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 bang. You got to have huge money to put up front. You got to have your building squared away and preferably be in a community that is very accepting. You know, Fair, Fairbanks is probably one of the easier ones. Other other places are even more so. You know, Houston, for example. I mean, Houston is just open for business as far as our industry is concerned, which is great. You know, they're they're attracting uh, you know a couple of licensees. Yeah. So at this point, I you know I don't I don't quite know what my involvement will be at a at a business level. I mean, I've talked talked to a couple of people about you know possibly investing you know some second round stuff, but uh, you know that that might be sort of a future discussion. But you know at this point, I still want to see I want to see the industry succeed. I want to I want to see everybody who has a license and has a business, um, I want to see them succeed because I still think this is a viable direction to go. And, you know, at this point, it's it's over a thousand jobs statewide. By my estimate, it's a, probably a $150 to $200 million industry at the retail level. It's still a really big deal. And and I feel like I, I sort of started this conversation and I want to, I want to see it through. I want to continue as, as long as I can, you know, wherever, wherever I, I can be effective. I'm so happy to hear you say that as you you've jumped off the ship flaming, but you've landed in a lifeboat and you're just keeping, keeping next to the ship, yeah. just rowing next to us. And uh, yeah, keeping in communication. Exactly. I, I, I don't think your role's done in cannabis. Yeah, I, don't, I, don't, I hope not. Yeah. Me, me too. I, I mean, I made, I made a lot of great friends and, you know, some, some, you know good contacts and uh, it's, it's been fun. I mean, it's, it's really been uh it's been a cool endeavor and uh, you know, there's, it's not over. Oh, beautiful. It's good to hear you say that. Is there anything else that you wanted to share with us here, Bruce? I, you know, I think we, we covered all the main points. I just said, you know, thank, thanks for your time. Thanks for, uh, you know, bringing everybody on and, and, and having these conversations. Like it's, it's, uh, it's fantastic. And, you know, I would just say that, you know, people that are, that are in the industry or, you know, in the process, just keep at it. I mean, I, I'm constantly impressed and I mean, just, just really impressed at, the tenacity, the the entrepreneurial, the entrepreneurial spirit that has driven a lot of these people from the first filing of an application to opening their doors. It is a tough, tough road, and uh, and I applaud everybody who has gone down that road and and the folks that are still doing it because it's it's cool. I mean, it's it's a great opportunity, and I'm I'm glad to see them all succeed. I want them all to succeed. Yeah, you know, I'm going to continue to do whatever I can to help that happen. In in, in all of this discussion, I think I would, I would be remiss at not. Uh, giving a shout out to the other folks that made all this happen. You know, at, at times during the process, I was, you know, sometimes the more visible voice, if that's actually a, a, a real thing. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I, I have to acknowledge, you know, first of all, Marijuana Policy Project for, you know, in, and Strategies 360, uh, Taylor Bickford for inviting me on board to be a spokesman for the campaign early on, because that really you know, set me up and kind of gave me a platform to speak from. And then, you know, later on, uh, Brandon Emmett and, you know, and Frank and Sean, all those guys for inviting in so warmly into CRCL and letting me speak on their behalf. But it was, it was a group effort, you know, all, all along the way, you know, during the campaign and later on, we had endless uh, strategy discussions over, you know, how, who do we need to talk to? How can we present this? What's the right way to go about this? And then, you know, finally, all the people that contributed to uh, to the development of the regs for the public side. It's easy easy to underestimate the value, but it's so important. You know, when, when we were developing the regs, it was so important that people read the drafts and provided meaningful feedback because that's the only way we could make the regs better. And so, uh, you know, I just want to give a shout out to all those people, dozens, maybe hundreds of people 
who contributed their own thoughts. You know, if they walked away from the process thinking like they, they had not had an impact, they probably did. You know, it was it was very definitely a group effort. Uh, I'm thankful to have been part of it in, in my own small way, but definitely a group effort. Yeah, it gets back. It's the theme of today's show, just being participation. Yeah. And just even writing in, it doesn't seem like if you, especially when you don't hear an answer, that's a tough thing. Right. You write in and it's just out there, but you're writing it to the people who are making decisions. And if your point's well said and it's clear, it's going to resonate. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it, and it is super important. So, you know, there's, there's other regulations projects out there. So I would encourage people to, you know, check the AMCO website, find out, you know, if they, if they don't have time to listen to every board meeting. And I, and I know it's tough for, for a lot of people, you know, because we all have a life and we're working and stuff. You know, look at the outstanding regulations, see if it's something that you're familiar with or something that's very important to you. And then, you know, offer some insights, you know, s- send an email, offer some feedback. You know, you might have an opportunity to to sway the discussion in a better direction. And it's it's super important because it, it's public policy and, and it's uh, meaningless without the public's participation. What is what is one regulation that we should be focused on? Like if you were sitting back and you were at the chair right now, what would you be dedicating all your time to you know one of the one of the ones that's out there right now has to do with testing and i know there's there's a committee that's been formed to look at that there's there's going to be some some changes there i think and so if if folks are particularly knowledgeable on you know on concentrates on 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 growing on cultivation you know at any level of production um if they've got some insights on testing and potency and accuracy you know, throw that out there. The the board, it's it's interesting. The board is actually somewhat limited in in the research they can do. Just because you know, when a when a project is out for public comment, the board is constrained from seeking input. But if a a well informed member of the public goes out and you know talks to a lab in Washington or California or Colorado and and develops some insights that they can share in an articulate manner with the board, that's huge. That can be really really helpful. And there's nothing to say they can't go talk to the labs as well. You know, the, the board's constrained, but the public is not. This is crazy. I uh, this You're blowing my mind out. So, okay, uh, on-site consumption. Yeah. People that are sitting on the board uh, can't investigate that? Can't what, do any investigation and research? The the advice I got from the, the, the assistant attorney general was that when, when a particular project is out for public comment, the board members are discouraged from researching that independent of the rest of the board. The theory being that they're getting information that the other board members are not. Now, there, there might be other reasons for that advice, but it's, you know, you've, you've, you've got a couple of board members who are knowledgeable in, in products. I mean, and Emmett just consistently blows my mind with his knowledge of, uh, of physiology and, and chemistry and biology, but he's he's one voice you know, on the board. Um, you know, not not to diminish Nick's participation too, but those two guys together can only bring so much to the table. If, if there's a somebody out there who who has a background in you know analytical chemistry and they can and they can speak to this whole topic, then by all means do so. And and that's just one Reg's project. You know, there's a, there's a few of the others out there. I can't think of another one off the top of my head, but there's a few that are open. Background checks into people still is like financial background checks. Right. Yeah, that's that's important, too, because that, you know, that can really speak to the, the ongoing health of the industry. If you know, if you can't find financing within the state of Alaska, well, you're, you're kind of sunk. 
And so it's, you know, it's a, it's a tough one. And I, I know that that, that has adversely impacted a lot of people who might otherwise be uh, successful businesses. So yeah, that's another really good one. And I think there's a couple of others as well. So they're, they're all posted on the AMCO website. I think they have now reestablished the, um, the notifications mechanism. It used to be that if you signed up on their email list, that whenever a regs project was out there, you'd be notified of its, of its status. Uh, that went away for a while, but I think it's back. So I, I would encourage everybody to check out the MCO website and see, uh, find that link and sign up so that you can at least be informed of upcoming meetings and projects that are that are out there in the wings because uh, they could be really important. Yeah, I want to hammer this point down. This is such new knowledge and a new tool to use in dealing with the board, uh-huh. knowing that that you guys can't research. And I, I sort of understand that you guys all ha- need to have access to the same information, but then why can't you guys just introduce that and let them talk about it? But if that's the way the rule is, it's good to know the rules so you can participate in the rule. Well, it's, it's interesting because, and this, this even works with the legislature. If, if a, a legislator on a, on a particular committee, if they just kind of walk into the committee hearing and say, Hey, I've got an idea, let's do this. They can't really do that. They have to have some public support for that. So, and and, and the boards work kind of the same way. So, yeah, if, if somebody could, if somebody, uh, if if a Rex project goes out there and nobody says anything, it's really difficult to make an argument in the meeting for changing the project for for changing the regulation because they you know the argument is well look nobody appears to object to the way it's written, so let, it's it's either an up or down vote at this point. But if, if you get all sorts of feedback saying, well, why don't you tweak this or change that or adjust that, then the board can have a discussion about those things. And if they've got some specific recommendations, that discussion gets that much more detailed. So it's super helpful. And it's, this is gold. This is this is gold nugget right here. Excellent. Good. To be able, it, it gives the board something to talk about. Exactly. Yeah. It sounds weird, but it's super important. It, it, it really it's a it's an important part of the process. And the, and the pub, public input, uh, and I, you know, I've always felt, you know, this is a, this is a voter initiative. It's, it's the public as lawmaker. And then that's, that's not done yet. You know, we, we still have the opportunity to educate the process and, and influence the outcome. And yeah, people should take advantage. We will. I, I'm going to push that that way. Awesome. I am, I'm, I'm a bit jaded in the world and thinking <laughs> uh, my, I'll put my, put my comment in and whatever. I guess I, that that positive feedback or even negative feedback, any feedback. So it, it's still good to know that it's out there. And I guess if you're listening to the meeting and you hear them talk about your research that you submitted, then you were heard. yeah, yeah. And the more detailed it is, and the more the more credible it is, and the more uh, you know, if you can, if you can if you can cite some statistics from you know this state or that you know that report or something, all the better. You know, because then then you can, mm-hmm. uh, like I said, you know, they're, they're all intelligent people on that on the board they're, but they're all coming from different perspectives so you know if if uh brandon emick go in there and say hey you know what i want to i want to draw the board's attention to this letter from from so and so in in juno or in sitka or in, in, you know wherever they brought up a really good point i think we should talk about this that's what they talk about for the next 10 minutes mm, yeah cool. thank you, you bet hey thanks again for the time man. i appreciate it and all all of your work i mean you're what, what you're doing, you're bringing everybody on, you know, having these discussions. It's awesome. Well done. Keep it up. Hey, th- thanks. Thanks for the nod. The creative process. We are all artists right now. Yeah. Contributing in 
policy yep. of new. Uh, just a beautiful time. Yeah, indeed. Golden age, Bruce. We were in a golden <laughs> yes, it age. is. All right, thank you so much for coming on. I, I really appreciate it. All right, it. thank you, man. I'll, uh, I'll be talking right. to you. Hey, thank you for joining us on Far North Tokers. You can find more episodes of this time capsule of Alaskan cannabis on SoundCloud and iTunes. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter. Send questions and comments to midtoker at farnorthtokers.com. M-I-D-T-O-K-E-R at farnorthtokers.com. And now, Patreon. Help support the show financially at patreon.com slash midtoker. Here's Token.